Hello and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, the legal entity solution provider for DAOs. And prior to MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes this week where we will cover the recent DAO news from the past couple of weeks because of the holiday week last week. And in the episode later this week, we will go deeper into an interview with our guest. Speaking of whom, Nathan, would you please give a brief introduction to yourself? And in particular, what makes you an authority on DAOs? Yeah, hey, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, excited to be here. Uh, I started getting interested in cryptocurrency uh, a number of years ago, but never really got into it last year uh, when I joined uh, Resource Finance full time. Uh, I spent most of my time there onboarding non-Web3 natives uh, onto a B2B credit network and helped launch a couple of DAOs on the side. Uh, for the last month or so, I've been focused on research into a new DAO called Celium that will work with other DAOs to increase the decentralization, transparency, resilience, uh, and social impact for them. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to turn to the Just Dow It News Report. And again, make sure to tune in later in the week to learn more about all the cool projects that Nathan just mentioned. I will be summarizing the stories for the audience and for our guests. I'll share my take. And then I will ask Nathan if you have anything to add. We'll try to think about especially what makes these stories relevant for people starting DAOs today. First story of the week is from Bankless DAO, which is at banklessdao.substack.com. Um, this is a Bankless Publishing recap. Uh, the headline is, your doctor will see you now. Bankless Publishing recap, top shelf educational Web3 content shipped directly to your inbox. So this is actually a bi-monthly or bi-weekly, depending on how you want to look at it, twice a month. A newsletter that I highly recommend. It's not always about DAOs, but in this month's episode uh, or issue, there are two great articles about DAOs. And so I want to dig into each of those a little bit with Nathan. The first of those two articles is called Analyzing DAO Treasuries, Tips and Tricks to See if Your DAO Passes the Treasury Health Check. All right, so I think anyone who's involved with DAOs knows that treasury is a key element of most DAOs. Because DAOs do their governance on chain, it's very easy to hold money uh, in your DAO's governance structure or in a multi-sig that's tied to the DAO. And uh, as a result, uh, most DAOs have money in that treasury and they have to think about, well, what kind of money do you want to hold in there? Do you want to um, hold stable coins? Do you want to hold the blockchain's native cryptocurrency? Do you maybe have tokens in other DAOs or other currencies? And then also often you'll have your DAO's own token if your DAO has a token. So that governance token or maybe other tokens involved in the DAO's activity will be in that treasury as well. So this article is great. It goes through a lot of suggestions for how to think about diversifying your treasury, how to report on your treasury, how to think about um, yeah, uh, that, that uh, element of which tokens you hold and how they relate to each other. Um, one of the really interesting things that I saw in this article that I think is uh, really insightful and I don't think is a, a, a principle that's been adopted by most DAOs, um, it, what's suggested here by the authors is that you should not consider your own DAO's governance token to be part of the value of your treasury. So if you're counting like, okay, how many millions or tens of millions or billions of dollars do we have in our treasury? And you have 
you know, uh, let's say 50% of all of the DAO's governance tokens are in that treasury. This article is saying, don't count those as part of the value of your treasury. And the reason they say that is they make an analogy to uh, public companies that have stock and equity and that public companies don't count the fact that they've authorized, you know, another, um, let's say, 10 million shares of their stock that's worth $100 each. They don't put a billion dollars onto their balance sheet as an asset. Um, they just say, well, there's, of course, there's more stock we could always release. And at that point, you know, someone might give us money for it. Um, so I thought this was an interesting take. And I wanted to turn it over to you, Nathan, especially actually with your experience doing uh, financial uh, work related to DAOs, what your reaction is to all of this. Yeah, I really, I really like this article. Um, it confirmed my bias on one point, which is one reason why I liked it, but also think it did a great job of going through uh, the importance of uh, Dow Treasury diversification. Um, and the bias that it confirmed for me is I usually tend to discount uh, a Dow's own tokens um, when I'm looking at their treasury because, uh, I mean, take Terra, take Luna, take FTX. If something collapses, you know, it may have been worth $50 billion yesterday, but if it all falls apart, if it gets hacked or whatever comes about and it's worth nothing, then... You know, it has some tangent, it has some value in the meantime, but long term, um, you know, they go hand in hand. So I do tend to, when I look at Dow Treasury discount, uh, their own tokens. Um, then I also tend to look at the extended network of their Treasury tokens. If they hold uh, ones from other DAOs, what does that DAO hold in turn? What is the potential um, uh, trickle up or trickle down effect, depending on which way things go? Um, and what's their diversification across, you know, their, their, their whole portfolio of holdings. So I really like this article. I think it uh, is a great starting point at the very least if someone's looking to start a DAO to understand this. But also I think people who've, who've been working in DAOs a long time, there's there's something in here for everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and what about the stablecoin issue? I mean, you know, it seems like a lot of DAOs do like to actually hold Ethereum or other, you know, major uh, crypto tokens in their treasury, probably because so many of the people involved in DAOs are such big believers in these cryptocurrencies and that they'll rise in value over time. Um, and it seems obvious that let's say we're hosting an event. So Dow Planet, one of the DAOs that I'm a part of, that hosts events several times a year. If we know we're going to have, you know, $50,000 worth of expenses over the next six months, six months, it seems pretty clear that we should probably sell some ETH for at least $50,000 worth of stable coins. I think the harder question is, well, what if you're thinking about the next few years or the long run? I mean, do you want to just sell all your ETH and tie yourself to the dollar so you know how much money you'll be able to operate with? Or do you want to keep some ETH or other token in there? And I mean, in, in some ways, I, I, some of the feedback I've gotten from others is, well, is your DAO an investment fund? Because unless you're an investment fund, you shouldn't be investing and taking a risk on something like Ethereum, a cryptocurrency, you know, that that's that's leave that to the DAO that says that's their purpose. If your purpose is to operate and create a product or host events or give grants, maybe then you should just turn everything into a stable coin. I have some secondhand experience with this where um uh seen and, and been a part of DAOs that were using their treasury, uh they were investing their treasury into uh, DeFi vehicles and it um, backfired spectacularly on them and it caused the DAO um, significant harm. So that, and I think along with um, the general state of unknown right now with uh, crypto markets, as far as fluctuation of prices and which coins are safe or um, smart investments, I guess right now, um, and along with my own DAO as well, I'm in the, the stable coin camp. Um, and, you know, of course, choosing the right one, I'm 
that have gone with USDC for holding uh, Dow Treasury. Um, so that's that's my opinion. Now. I know there's a lot smarter people out there uh, tackling this, but yeah, that's my two cents on it. Yeah, and I know. I mean, uh, maybe one counterpoint, at least within like major cryptocurrency like Ethereum or major blockchain like Ethereum, is. I know there are people who are trying to create a world where Ethereum is the currency, the, the, the cryptocurrency that matters the most, the token that matters the most. And so like a lot of people who invest in NFTs, at least if they're fairly wealthy already in the in the fiat world, they try to think of their NFTs just in ETH terms as opposed to dollar terms, because that's that's kind of the framework they're thinking in. And I guess I could see where maybe there would, could be DAOs that want to think that way, too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, as long as that's a conscious decision that they're going to value a thousand ETH as a thousand ETH, whether it's worth one dollar or a million dollars, they're going to be OK with that. Um, so I, I could see some mm -hmm. folks going in that direction, too. All right. Next article is also, again, from this bankless newsletter. The headline is DAOs are a playground for growth and development, making the case for cohort based and project based learning. So this article talks about um, the kind of one of the people elements of a DAO, which is just like in any organization, um, the people involved are sometimes very good at what they're doing. Sometimes they're still learning. And, and, and even if you're really good at what you're doing, really, you should always be learning. And this article talks about the growth mindset, which one is one of the common uh, methodologies or, or, or mental models for thinking about how, um, and, and I'll read a few of these things that it says a uh, growth mindset is about. It's uh, perseveres in the face of failures. Uh, effort is required to build new skills, finds inspiration in others' success, accepts criticism, desires to learn, builds abilities, as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is avoids challenges, ignores feedback, threatened by other success, desires to look smart, gives up easily and has fixed abilities. And the argument is that this growth mindset is, and there's a whole book called The Growth Mindset, which I highly recommend as well. Um, but the growth mindset is really what you need in a DAO. Um, and one of the arguments for why this maybe matters even more than in a traditional organization is the, the other uh, part of this article talks about DAOs uh, as games from a game theory perspective and how um, I think especially in DAOs because there is a lot of freedom most of the time where you really are participating at your discretion. You could come in and out anytime or at least very easily. Um, there's going to be less, you, almost always much less top-down hierarchy, much less, much less management. And so it's almost like everyone's playing a game together. And so how do you make sure that you're not playing a zero-sum game? where one person's spending is another person's income, or one person's asset is another person's liability, or in general, one person's win is another person's loss. How do you instead make sure you're playing a positive sum game or a game uh, with a positive externality where, the, of course, the people are playing this game in the DAO with each other, the game of contributing and leading, um, but the externality is there's some public good or some value being creative or uh, a regenerative game is another perspective this article takes. So it's a really interesting uh, article about um, kind of how to think about how things work in a DAO and how best to uh, grow as an individual within that environment. Um, any reactions, Nathan? Uh, I like the way it framed zero sum games uh, versus positive sum games, and then how positive sum games can turn into infinite games. Um, and if you're creating win win situations, uh, then that should continue going forward. People want to continue engaging in that sort of game. Uh, you know, in a zero sum game, the winner wants to continue engaging because they won, mm. um, or maybe they take their ball and go home. But in the in the positive sum win win scenario, there's just room for exponential growth beyond that. I think that's a uh, 
necessary for escaping this um, kind of a GDP focused growth where everything must always go up, up, up in certain terms, but we uh, ignore maybe other costs to it and, and creating that fuller positive game environment. Um, I think DAOs are a great place to do that. And uh, I not agree. Yeah, we are doing that in a lot of DAOs. So um, yeah, I really like the way it framed uh, the differences there. Yep. It's kind of like DAOs are like their own little economies. Um, and you can use some of the same tools you use to look at a whole, you know, large economy. You apply the same tool to a DAO and look at the uh, individual players within the DAO as the economic actors and try to figure out, um, you know, how to manage an economy uh, inside your DAO. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is fun and terrifying at the same time, exciting and terrifying at the same time, I would say. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, getting, getting to learn, learning in public, um, there's so much value to that and having that, which, which is necessary for that growth mindset uh, to be in place. Um, it's scary, but uh, usually being in scary places requires courage and that's where, that's where good things happen. Mm, courage is another very important skill for the growth mindset. All right, the next article is actually a press release from the SEC, everyone's favorite uh, US regulator, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the headline of the press release is, SEC seeks to stop the registration of misleading crypto asset offerings. The SEC has instituted administrative proceedings against American Crypto Fed Dow LLC, aka American Crypto Fed, a Wyoming-based organization to determine whether a stop order should be issued, et cetera, et cetera going after this DAO for um, its token offering. Um, this is an interesting one for a couple of reasons I wanted to highlight this. First of all, it's a, uh, a you can see that this DAO was registered as an LLC in the state of Wyoming. Of course, I'm in the business of registering DAOs as LLCs in the Marshall Islands. And so I'm a big fan of DAOs uh, forming legal entities. And, and you can see a big difference here between what's happening in this SEC case versus what happened with Uki DAO a couple months ago. Uh, CFTC went after all of the people of Ukidao saying, because there's no legal entity, we have to go after the people. And in this case, the SEC is going only after the LLC itself, the DAO LLC itself. And so I think that's it, it's it's good to see, you know, that DAOs are starting to take this step of forming legal entities to protect their members as individuals. Um, I guess the thing that, and I don't have all the details, but I think all of us, you know, tend to be a little bit um, uh, scared, if nothing else, of the SEC and other regulators. It looks like this DAO filed a form with the SEC saying, hey, we're going to do this securities offering. Um, that was uh, just over a year ago. And now the SEC is saying, well, actually, you failed to disclose the right information in that form. And so we're coming after you. And so I don't know if the lesson is, well, hey, everyone, just make sure that you fill out your forms correctly. Or maybe this is another case where they did do everything they were supposed to do, and maybe even trying harder than most DAOs to follow regulations by submitting the form in the first place. And now they're the ones that the SEC is uh, deciding to go after because they're familiar with the offering. So hard to know exactly what to think without digging deeper into it, but um, an interesting story nonetheless. So anything to add on this one, Nathan? It seems like, yeah, they filled out the forms to register tokens as securities, but being a DAO, uh, the forms are tailored for traditional corporations and organizations, and a DAO was unable to complete it the way that that form is done. And they stated that, um, but then the SEC said, you know, it's not good enough because they didn't complete the form properly. And it seems like, you know, right now there's not clear guidance for a DAO to register their tokens um, or on the other side for the process, uh, the ability for the SEC to even process a DAO registering their tokens. So yeah. um, 
this DAO, and I would say seems like any other ones, um, are just kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And yeah. uh, I mean, seems a little bit like the the SEC wants to have their cake and eat it too on this situation. And um, you know, it'd be, yeah. it'd be nice if they gave some some clear direction and regulation for 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 what we're supposed to do. That is such a good point. And that's it's one of the things we're um, planning on doing at MyDAO is working with the Marshall Islands to try to create um, new digital asset and securities related regulation and hopefully um, you know, try to be a model for the world or at least innovate in this area. Because I don't think there's anywhere in the world that said, here's how a DAO should treat its tokens from a regulatory and, and legal perspective. And that's certainly something that that we need. And hopefully the regulations go the right way, not the wrong way. But either way, I think at some point it's inevitable. And so we need, we need to see those regulations come out at some point. Yeah, I'm generally not a fan of the regulations, but if they're going to do uh, regulation by enforcement, I'd rather have clear direction in the first place. And if they just let us go and have fun, that'd be that's a good cool. point. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's their uh, way of doing things. <laughs> yeah. Good, good point. Good point. Maybe we'll get more into that later. Uh, actually, relatedly is the next story. So this is from uh, Coindesk. It's from the opinion section. And the headline is, and this is by a friend of mine, Mark Lurie, the uh, CEO and founder of uh, Shipyard, which built the Clipper Exchange, the DEX. Um, the headline is, how bad tax policy drives DAOs out of the U.S. Despite crypto-friendly laws in Wyoming, most DAOs are choosing to incorporate overseas. So another example of possibly uh, bad regulation, in this case talking about bad uh, tax policy, and uh, basically makes the argument that um, everything from this SEC to the CFTC and even the IRS have rules that are driving organizations out of the United States and forcing them to register in places like the Marshall Islands. So I guess I, I can't, you know, from a personal perspective, don't mind that, the, that they're driving people out of the U.S. But as an American citizen and generally a patriot, I think America should try to create a, a friendly regulatory environment so that the organizations don't go overseas. And, and a part of the reason for that is not just to try to keep everything in the U.S., but the, the problem is if you, so the U.S. has, clearly one of the strongest and most enforced rules of law and regulatory environments in the world. They even enforce what, what they do against organizations, not in the United States in a lot of cases. And so if the U.S. can create regulations that make sense, then people will follow them and it will presumably, maybe this is where you'll push back, Nathan, but they'll presumably make consumers and companies safer by having them follow regulations that make sense and having them pay taxes in ways that make sense. And so it's what I don't like about this is, you know, for example, take FTX. So and we all know and if you haven't heard about the collapse of FTX and, you know, if you're new to the space, please go search for FTX in the news and you'll see everything that's been going on. Um, but uh Supposedly, and actually just the other day, I saw uh, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, doing an interview with the New York Times uh, where he said that as far as he knows, the assets of customers in the United States and Japan and a few other countries that are fairly highly regulated, those assets should be safe. Now, I don't know, of course, if he's telling the truth at this point. He clearly hasn't always told the truth in the past. Hopefully it's true. But still, it's interesting that he would say that. And, and, and implicitly what he's saying is, well, all the countries that we had to go also form entities in because our U.S. entity wouldn't let us serve people all over the world, um, we did do, you know, 
fraudulent things with the money there. We did take customer funds and spend it on something else there because the regulations weren't in place in those places. So it just tells me that if the U.S. could have a really compelling regulatory framework that protects people like it did in the case of uh, maybe in the case of FTX U.S., but that also doesn't make it so hard for an organization to just be based in the U.S. and serve people all over the world, maybe all of us would be better off. So, um, Nathan, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm facing right now as, as I'm setting up this new DAO. Um, it is an absolute maze of legal and financial systems to navigate. And the deeper you go, the less clear it gets, which is part of the frustrating process about it because there's not clear reg regulation. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, and I'm a libertarian, pretty libertarian in most things. So again, it's very rarely that you will hear me championing for uh, regulation, for laws, things of that nature. But um, there's also a smart way to go about things. And sometimes weaving in some regulations, some laws are a part of that. And right now, I think the U.S. is absolutely shooting itself in the foot when it comes to it could be a place where this new sector, this new area of growth, of technology, of unlocking um, human potential, whether it's cryptocurrency, DAOs, all different facets that blockchain enables. Um, the U.S. is perfectly poised as far as I would say socially, culturally, technology, um, technologically, um, we're perfectly poised to be an epicenter for that. Um, I mean, we're the home of Silicon Valley for crying out loud, but the lack of regulation and then that coupled with, I think, this regulation by enforcement that we're seeing um, across the blockchain sector, um, really the U.S. I think is just shooting itself in the foot. It could be fostering what is a future growth sector um it could be enabling helping supporting instead we see this this pushback and a lot of complications and right now setting up a DAO in the us is um yeah it's, it's somewhat i don't know frightening is the best word but there's no clarity on it like i may do something all the right ways that i can tell right now through lots of research and then next year something rolls out where i may owe a ton of taxes or maybe i've you know uh, put myself in a horrible legal position. We simply don't know. And it's, uh, yeah, I know mean, it's, it's a shared point of frustration. And, um, you know, I really wish that uh, someone, you know, I guess the U.S. in total or someone somewhere would get the act together and figure out how to um, support this these, these new areas of growth and support. You know, there's a lot of great minds, a lot of great people working on this. Why aren't we, you know, um, yeah, focusing on that instead of, uh, trying to um you know navigate murky waters so uh yeah yeah i wish i wish they'd make it uh, easier and clearer not just for me personally because i'm there right now but i think for everybody in this space it'd be, it'd be a good thing yeah yeah totally all right next article is from coin telegraph uh this one the headline is what are soulbound tokens sbts and how do they work Soulbound tokens, SBTs, refer to digital identity tokens that represent the characteristics or reputation of a person or entity. Okay, I'm going to agree and disagree with different parts of what I just read. Um, first of all, uh, I think soulbound, to soulbound tokens are definitely an important concept. And um, I guess to me, what a soulbound token is, is it doesn't have to be about digital identity, but it's any token, usually an NFT, that uh, once given to a particular address cannot be taken away or sent away or traded. 
Um, and you could build in little exceptions, like maybe you make it so that um, it can only be given to someone or destroyed or given to someone or given back, right? But the idea is that it's soul bound because it's just attached to you. And I think the, the term soul bound actually comes from the video game world, like World of Warcraft, where you know most of the objects in the game you could trade, you could share, you could give, but certain things that were really special, like let's say a sword that you had to do this like insanely challenging quest that takes tens or hundreds of hours to get through with a big group of people. Um, and it's one of the most powerful swords in the game. They don't want people to be able to earn that and then sell it. They want that to be something that you have to earn. And that's the only way to get it. Um, and so I think that's where the term comes from. And certainly one of the biggest use cases that people are talking about for soulbound tokens is identity related, right? Because let's say there's something related to your identity, like you got a college degree or a certificate or a positive review. It makes sense that those things would be given to you as, as things that cannot be traded, right? If I got a positive review for my uh, services that I provide to DAOs, I shouldn't be able to sell that to Nathan because he's going to now go start a new business and he wants positive reviews. Um, also, a lot of challenges um, have emerged as people have thought about these tokens because um, there are situations where it might make sense for them to be transferable. Like, let's say my crypto wallet gets hacked or I just want to start a new wallet um, for my like for my new business. And maybe the review does feel like I should be able to transfer it over to my new wallet because it's still me. So how can you build in that flexibility while still keeping the, the positive elements of these soulbound tokens? Um, so definitely an interesting concept. There's a lot of discussion about these. Uh, Vitalik has written about soulbound tokens on his blog. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of new innovation in this space in the next year. Um, what are your thoughts, Nathan, on soulbound tokens? First of all, I appreciate you explaining the reason behind the name. Uh, I was not aware that that was uh, from World of Warcraft. Um, makes more sense. And I've always had kind of a, a bristly reaction to the name of Soulbound Token. It felt a little, little, little extra, maybe if I can put it <laughs> like that dramatic. way. Um, yeah, yeah, especially looking at it from the eyes of someone that doesn't know crypto, doesn't know anything. All of a sudden, we're talking about binding, you know, money to your soul. Like, uh, you know, on its face value for someone who has no context, that's kind of a scary term. And um, so I always kind of felt a little weird about it. That context is very helpful. Um, the, you know, knowing where it come, came from, at least. Mm -hmm. um, I would say there's kind of a branding issue there that probably should be addressed. And uh, seeing how this challenge is, is tackled is one I'm particularly interested in. Um, it's it's a really um, tricky one, and it's something I'm just starting to really dig into. So I should probably, I could I could waffle on it for a while. But yeah, it, it, I'm really interested to see how this comes together and, and yeah. studying more on it myself. Cool. Awesome. All right, we're going to turn to a few tweets of the week. Um, the first tweet I'm going to read is from Zaku, uh, or the uh, uh, username is Fifth World Zach. And the tweet is Annual reminder DAOs are not flat. No organization is flat. There are always hierarchies. Hierarchies are good. The DAO innovation is how fluid hierarchies can be. So, I think very insightful and interesting. I think this is a tweet that a lot of people will have different opinions on. Um, I tend to agree with Zaku that, at least I'll put it this way, I think most of the people who are starting, leading, and contributing to DAOs today, they're trying to do something that is like the complete opposite of the traditional corporate world. Anything that was in Web2, corporate world, TradFi, like a CEO or 
um, a management team, they are definitely not going to do because it's, it's reactionary. It's like, we want to try something new, but I think in the future and even over the next couple of years, we're going to find out that the best way to run an organization isn't to choose one of the extremes, but to pick and choose from the old world and the new world. And maybe you have a DAO where the power and the governance rights truly are in the hands of the people, right? Everyone involved in the community, it's either one member, one vote or one token, one vote. And then maybe you'll want to hire a CEO or a management team or leaders or managers for different projects. And as long as you retain the right to kick that person out of their position, or maybe you have to approve their budget once a week or once a month or once a year or whatever, to me, that's still a DAO. And it's okay if you want to have a management team. Um, there's a good example of this. I think it's also representative of the conflict here um, that, that people have when they think about this, which is a sushi DAO hired what they called a head chef. And I think it's basically a CEO, but if they had called it a CEO, people would not have been down at all. Um, and so calling it a head chef fit in with like the sushi, you know, metaphor, I don't know, symbolism, whatever you want to call it, symbol that they use. Um, but uh, anyways, I think very insightful. And I'm curious, Nathan, uh, what you think about DAOs and their hierarchies or lack thereof. Yeah, the head chef one, I do love that terminology. Um, I think uh, hierarchies are some, uh, I'd like to understand exactly how he's defining it, I guess, in that tweet. But I would generally agree that hierarchies are inevitable. Um, there will be, uh, I think even if you just sit down in a room, you know, in an actual IRL room and there's five people around a table, someone's going to talk more, someone's going to talk louder, someone's going to dominate the space. There's just a natural um, uh, feasibility, a natural um, way that hierarchies come into state. So I think there's an inevitability to it and to have a good way to, to manage hierarchies, to um, either create or operate within hierarchies. I think um, the flexible, like the fluidity as, as the tweet set of hierarchies is really key. There needs to be the ability for, um, yeah, everyone to, to have an opportunity to uh, be in different roles. And I'm a big fan of the hybrid approach. Um, I think oftentimes, yes, we need to uh, um, leave behind a lot of what's in the traditional institutions. But also, I think we um, in DAOs can be guilty of spending time reinventing a wheel when the solution is out there, mm. and um, we can we can take other we can take outside ideas, apply them with the uh, into the DAO framework, and come up with with a hybrid model that um, can be very effective. Yep, love it. Awesome. Next tweet is from bettercallvictor.eth at Victor DeValente. And this one's kind of just for fun. The tweet is DAOs and NFTs on Tinder, bullish. And there's a picture of uh, his uh, Tinder profile where when he's choosing between all of his favorite uh, interests, two of the options are DAOs and NFTs. And I think this is just awesome. I mean, I think DAOs especially, you do not see DAOs very much in like pop culture or um, anyone outside of like Web3 or the most innovative people in society in terms of entrepreneurs and founders and innovators. Um, most people are not aware of DAOs yet. I recently saw a statistic back at ETHSF that someone shared um, that estimated that 5% of Americans, and so I'd say probably about 5% of the world, has even heard of a DAO or knows what it is. Um, but anyways, uh, for all of you out there who have a Tinder profile, a good opportunity to add DAOs to your list of interests. Well, Nathan, will you be adding DAO to your Tinder profile? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to pass on that one. 
being in Western North Carolina, putting acronyms like that might um, associate me with some mountain men militia groups and <laughs> not really the vibe I'm going for. So maybe in the future. Yeah, Sounds we'll see. <laughs> awesome. All right. The next uh, tweet, the last tweet of the day, last article of the day is from Bankless Writers Guild. And the tweet, which is a thread, uh, starts at Bankless DAO. We believe that DAOs are the future of work. But working in a DAO is not easy. It can be downright scary. In this thread, we will uncover the essential skills needed to thrive in this environment. And that's followed by uh, 12 tweets in a thread. I'll just read one more. DAOs are a new way of organizing towards a common purpose, replete with new technology, and they are constantly evolving. DAOs enable the decentralized management of work from hiring to project management. And uh, this uh, thread goes on to talk about some of the differences between traditional companies and DAOs and some advice for how to thrive in this environment. So definitely recommend people check that out. And I agree, it's, it's not easy to operate within a DAO. Um, you know, it, and it starts out with another thing this tweet thread mentions, which is the Discord server, right? I mean, the, uh, the way that most DAOs that I've seen uh, operate is they have a Discord server, which is like their Slack or their Microsoft Teams, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Discord yet. Um, and when you enter a Discord server, you see along the left side, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 chat rooms, basically channels they're called, and you've got to figure out where to start, where to go, what do you say, what do you do? And, you know, sometimes there's a page of like, here's the first 10 steps to take. Um, and that's definitely scary, especially for, especially for people that are not very computer literate. Um, now, I don't know if it's really any less scary showing up to your first day on the job at an office building and like getting walked into like the HR welcome center. And then again, like starting with a meeting where they tell you, here's the first 10 things you're going to do. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe depending on how, again, computer literate or digital native you are, maybe one is actually scarier than the other and vice versa for someone else. But um, either way, it's definitely true that it can be um, hard and scary to get involved with DAOs for the first time. Um, what do you think, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It's um, intimidating and because everyone is different, too until someone gets in and starts working in a DAO or a number of DAOs to get just some texture on the ideas and the concepts of how they work. Uh, it can be very intimidating, especially when you drop into a DAO that has a hundred chat rooms and everything's just lit up and um, there's no real names and you have no idea what's going on. Um, so I love this piece and I think more of this is needed. I would say, I would say every DAO, I'll go, I'll bring out the big black brush there and say every DAO should have really clear guidance. I would say even before getting into Discord, kind of a um, uh, constitution, kind of a, a roadmap for membership. Like here's how you can get in. Here's not just where to go and what channels and what things happen, but if you get lost, here's where to go. If you want to learn how to quickest way to get to some tokens to, to earn your way in, um, here's how you get to level one of membership, making it really, I would say crystal clear from, from before even someone gets into the discord of how to engage, how to work and kind of that, I guess that, that sense of security that can come with that, uh, of not just being dropped into the deep end of the pool, but, you know, kind of like walking into the HR room of, uh, you know, a corporation, your first day, at least, you know, you can go to the HR manager if you have questions or, you know, there's people around when you're in discord, it's, it's a very different, uh, vibe. So yeah, yeah I, I, I'm a huge fan of this thread and, and think we need a lot more of this type of information out there. 
Awesome. All right. That does it for the Just Dow It News Report for this week. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us for the news report. Make sure to tune in later in the week in a couple of days for the more in-depth interview with Nathan. Um, for now, Nathan, where can people find you and your projects on the web and on social? The best place to find me probably right now is Twitter at Nathan B. Phillips or NathanBPhillips.com. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller or MyDAO is at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. And for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just DAO it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.